I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Don't breathe. This is Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 70, which begins with Nux assuring Furiosa that he has a plan. And it ends with the bullet farmer, who's come from the bullet farm, and his Imperators holding a flare in front of his face. Joining us this week to help us take a shot in the dark is returning guest Brad Mull from the Jurassic Minutes podcast. Good evening, guys. Good day, guys. <laughs> Should have practiced that one a bit better. How are we? Nah, it's great to have you back. Once again, reminding us that we are literally on opposite sides of the globe. <laughs> it's always the case. And yet we still make it work. <laughs> but it is so good to see you again, especially now that we've moved from the 1980s movies here into the new millennium. What is new with you? I think the first and foremost thing is obviously going to be the fact that you're not just the Lost World Minute podcast anymore. No, I think last time we're on, when I was on, uh, we just finished or we're coming close to finishing off the Lost World and yeah, decided to push on to Jurassic Park 3 and as, um, well, I suppose not with Fury Road where you might have had a bit of a downturn in the franchise. We're sort of in that downturn of the franchise at the moment and uh, hopefully by the end of you'll be starting on Jurassic World. So we'll be on to our part four as where you're just finishing your part four most likely. Yeah. Now, moving into Jurassic Park 3, you start off with a strong first movie, you follow it up with another enjoyable romp, and then you get into that third entry in the franchise. We can sympathize that sometimes it doesn't live up to everybody's expectations. In going through Jurassic Park 3, you're still plugging away at it, but are you finding, like we did with Beyond Thunderdome, that there are just good things that you didn't initially realize were there? Definitely, definitely, and sort of coming across the same similar issues as Thunderdome 2 where you might have had <clears throat> some studio interference or that sort of thing where mostly production and not the general ideas that we're putting forth were the biggest issue. Those studios, you can't live with them, you can't live without them. No, no, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> as we're getting into Minute 70, like I mentioned, we've just discovered Nux who has been given control of the war rig by Capable. He was an unexpected element to this equation. And so Furiosa is telling him, hey, get out of my car. You don't belong here. And Nux is throwing up his hands saying, no, 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 no. I, 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 I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. You can trust me, despite the fact that I tried to choke you out the last time I saw you. As we enter this minute, like kind of returning to this scene, we're at a bit of a crossroads, I think. Well, the truck certainly isn't. The truck's not going anywhere for the time being. I think Furiosa is at a crossroads. She has come upon another person who indicates that they want to be helpful, that they want to be on her side, and she has to choose. Mm. Plus, there's also the attempt, or it could be the possible attempt at any time that he's going to either flip-flop and stab, literally stab her in the back or sort of rat him back out to Joe. Sabotage, that was the word. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a real tough situation on whether or not to trust him. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I said crossroads before, but at this moment, I don't think she really has much of a choice. It's an interesting situation because with Max, he was a third party. 
the way he presented himself was very much, I am a put-upon individual. She already saw him tied to the front of the Nux car. So when he came upon them, he was this third-party guy that didn't have a loyalty to Joe. Nux does. Nux is, I'd say, a more dangerous risk. But at the same time, like you said, she doesn't have a choice. They are in dire straits here. And Capable is vouching for him, which I think is very important. Mm-hmm. It is. I <laughs> I just feel like the wives are a little naive. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that their voices are voices of wise judgment. They just haven't experienced anything of the real world. Are you accusing them of being sheltered? Yeah, a little. (laughs) I appreciate the wives. They are smart, but they don't have experience, especially with the war boys who are members of a cult. So people who are brainwashed, they don't flip flop so easy. They definitely don't. So Nux's willingness to help, I think it's rightfully suspect. I'm going to counter that okay, by saying that I believe Nux's faith in Joe, and by extension of that, the cult of the V8, was visibly shaken by seeing the Bigfoot flip over and Joe be defeated. And I feel like Nux was a bit set adrift, and so that scene that he shared with Capable in the back of the tanker, I feel like that was a bit of a personal shift for him, where he was transitioning away from Immortan Joe, looking for something else to attach him to, and there was Capable. Capable, who was looking for someone to focus her energies into in the absence of Ang Herod, and Nux looking for someone to follow and worship in the absence of Immortan Joe, and the two of them just kind of fell together at the most opportune time. I might be interpreting it wrong. That's just how I see it. No, agreed. I absolutely (laughs) agree with you. The George Miller did the legwork, Hmm. but Furiosa doesn't know that. Neither does anybody else. Those moments, that story, is just between Capable and Nux. Yeah, not knowing what discussion come up when they first come together in the back of that truck and she found a little puppy just how the interaction between the wives and the war boys in this world whether whiskey had been telling the girls about the war boys if their only knowledge of the war boys is what they've seen out the window as they've been going off in the vehicles or or yeah, all that stuff but furiosa does seem to make a decision although i think it takes some external prodding well it's not only the pressure she's under from Nux being behind the wheel. Now she's got Max taking the rifle and going to do something that Sheep should be doing as well. And she's sort of, again, that's that fork in the road. Right. She had that rifle and she was doing what Max is doing now, but then something more important took her attention. She had to go there. Well, now something more important over there needs her attention. She is in charge and she is responsible for the safety of the rig and for these people. Not so much for Max. He's kind of on his own. But I think she's feeling the weight of that responsibility and really just wants to be everywhere, taking care of everybody Yeah. at the same time. I'm glad you brought up Max with the rifle, because that is 
probably the cornerstone, centerpiece, keystone, whatever metaphor you want to use, but that is the bedrock of this episode. Max here with the SKS aiming at the approaching Peacemaker. And real quick, we see the bullet farmer from the bullet farm. He's swinging the spotlight left and right, and he is just spraying bullets all over the place. The guns that he's using here are a pair of Uzi submachine guns with little wooden stocks on them. Fun facts about the Uzi, it was designed in the late 1940s by Major Uziel Gal with the first prototype finished in 1950 and then the weapon was introduced into the IDF in 1954 and then placed into general use two years later. His Wikipedia page, and this is why I brought it up, noted that the gun is named after him, but he didn't want it to be and people just ignored him and called it the Uzi anyway. And I got (laughs) such a kick out of that. (laughs) Like, guys, please don't name the gun after me. Call it anything else. And they're like, no, we're going to call it an Uzi because it sounds cool. I love that story mostly because I always felt like the Uzi was a nickname, like that it was actually called something longer. But then over time and, and usage, it just got knocked down to Uzi. So I like that his name was actually Uziel and it got knocked down to Uzi. Mm-hmm. But getting into the actual long gun situation. Max is there. He's knelt down. He's taken a very serious aiming pose and he lets off one shot and toast turns around and she utters the phrase, you've got two left. And I have an instant problem with that. Never before have I had a problem with that. Only now going through it minute by minute, do I have a problem with it? Because I distinctly remember back in minute 65, it was like Two seconds into the minute, she said, and I quote, as she patted the scope on the gun, we've only got four for big boy here, so he's all but useless. And since that moment, they have not fired a single shot out of that rifle until now. So technically, technically, he has three. And... I kind of like that she got the number wrong because she also got way wrong when she said big boy's all but useless. Mm. He's very useful. Did you see what Furiosa was able to do with one shot? Yep, not very good point. (laughs) In fact, that one shot where she knocked off two guys, was that after the count or before the count? That was before the count. Okay. That's not our missing bullet then. Right. Okay. And that ties right back into... What I said earlier about the wives being naive. Mm. Toast doesn't realize how useful the big boy can be with one bullet at a time, as we are going to see further on in this minute. Yeah, and it's not the case either of finding those four rounds in that big bag and realizing one of them's broken, bent, got a hole in it, got no primer in it or whatever else. So she's loaded the weapon and knows there's four rounds in that weapon. So, oh. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. And it makes total sense that she would count four rounds. And then as she's loading them, maybe like the bullet would fall out of one of them. And she'd be like, okay, well, I guess there's only three that she doesn't tell anybody, which is why she's piping up now saying, oh, Ooh. you've only got two left. I kind of like that. It kind of clears up a little bit of her snarkiness about it. Like she does seem a little, I don't know, a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> Like she's counting down the bullets because he can't count. He can't keep track. So I like the idea that there was actually one less usable bullet than she claimed earlier. So she's 
updating. I'm definitely accepting your idea, Brad, as like my head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you could also go to well. Technically, there's still two bullets in the mag in the, in an internal magazine. You've got mm. one up the spout, so you've got two plus the one. You you could go that way as well if yeah. if you want to. I think it would have been cool if they'd included a little moment showing that one of the bullets was bad. This movie, as we all know, is just rife with references and repeated imagery from the other three movies. And that would have repeated the imagery from Road Warrior, where Max found a small stash of, of shotgun. I think it was shotgun shells, yeah. Yeah, shotgun shells. Pressed on the side. Yeah, and he, he found them, he tested them out, not all of them were good. He kept the good ones, got rid of the bad ones. They all ended up being bad anyways. I could see Zoe Kravitz sitting in the back of the war rig. And she's got the rounds for these rifles. And she's like, well, we've only got four of these. And then it just kind of comes apart in her hands. She's like, okay, we've got three. (laughs) Just as a way to lighten the mood a little bit. Because they went with, we can squeeze off Pinky here, a raunchy 29 times. And I could see how that is the sort of attitude-ish lightheartedness that she was bringing to the table. But... I also like a little bit of prop humor from time to time. I'm not going to go see Carrot Top in Vegas or anything like that, but a little bit of prop humor sometimes is good. (laughs) Plus, it's not the same case, really, with Road Warrior here. We're assuming this is all near new or repurposed ammunition from the bullet farm that they've been supplied with um, to the Citadel. So unless some of these rounds are older, if they're reusing brass, you do get degradation in the collar and that from reloading the projectiles in them. So... There could be bullets that were failing or um, all that too, but you'd assume these were all new bullets anyway <laughs> that were being produced there. I like the idea that these might be recycled bullets. Furiosa may have more guns than she's supposed to have, which means she might have to be sneaking her ammunition so she could be buying it from less than reputable sources on the black market or doing it herself. Maybe. Everybody's got to have a hobby. Yeah. If you got free time... Why not sit at a reloading bench for a little while? <laughs> Plus, this stuff obviously has been hidden or placed on the wall rig for X amount of time. Some The stuff could have been on there for a year and just not been used. I don't think they'd be taking old stuff off and replacing with new stuff um, all the time, unless they got bored. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of war pups there. <laughs> but more importantly, Max has taken one shot and he's missed the initial one. Toast reminds him of how many shots he has left, and then Furiosa starts getting nervous. And she hands off the handgun that she's using to hold Nux, passes it off to Toast, and then goes over to look at Max. Check him out a little bit. So, first, Toast. She's doing a really good job pretending like she knows what she's doing with that gun. When we know that she has absolutely no idea. She's just copying Furiosa. Oh, absolutely. But she's doing a really good job at pretending. Well, has it been, you brought up the fact before that whether or not they've had any gun experience in the Citadel, whether they had some sort of training as a last line of defense if it was taken or or anything like that. It's not a um, Rowan Atkinson here where the magazine suddenly falls out because she's hit the, yeah. <laughs> hit the, hit the round <laughs> lever or something. But Thank goodness, because it's just not the right moment. Yeah, yeah. It also explained, too, in the next minute why Rand doesn't go off when Nux suddenly jumps out of the war rig, too. If you'd think she would be a bit fumbling with the gun, then 
there may have been a little light press at a trigger there. <laughs> but yeah. That's next minute. <laughs> Max's stance here, going down on one leg and uh, using that to support the rifle. I know a lot of the shooting I do on that, we normally use the bonnet of vehicles, the doors of vehicles, the back of the three vehicles as well, just so you got that solid prone lean to have the, the rifle on. And Max, we've never really seen him be much of a marksman in the franchise. Um, he's always had his shotgun, which is a very close close weapon, obviously for self-defense in the wasteland. But going to a uh, a sniper rifle or a precision instrument like this, this hasn't really been something we've seen of Max previously. I like the idea that he's used to being the person around who knows what he's doing. So he is faking it hardcore right now. Yeah. Well, I think the last time that we saw him use a long rifle was that carbine back in the crack in the earth when he was shooting the pots and the water jugs and things like that. But even that instance, you could argue, was not super long distance. The bullet farmer is way further away right now than those water jugs were back in the crack in the earth. And so he's probably thinking to himself, I've got Mr. Dead in my pocket. I'm the guy. I can do this again. I just pull the same trick I did before. And he's not cutting it. He's given two chances. And so by Toast's count, we're down to the wire, which is exactly why Furiosa comes over. Yeah, she does this thing that's a little odd. She doesn't come over and say, hey, I'm going to take the last shot. She just comes over and just stands behind him for a moment and lets him make the decision. Well, I like how he turns around and she does this little like hand wave thing. Like, I, I, can, do, I can do it. Give it to me. <laughs> well, who are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Because Max has spammed more rounds of ammunition out of the end of the guns that he's been using over the course of this movie than seemingly anybody else. Bullet Farmer from the Bullet Farm excluded, obviously, because he just lets her rip for the pure sake of it. But the fight with Furiosa, where he's firing off warning shots three at a time, that's incredibly wasteful. When they were fighting the Rock Riders and he's just letting it go with the handgun. Furiosa, one shot, one kill. Rock Rider after Rock Rider. She is a precision, deadly gunfighter. And Max is just a spray and pray kind of dude, it seems. Which is odd. You'd think it would be the other way around where Furiosa is in a world with abundance of ammunition. Max is coming from Thunderdome where he had a lot of weapons, whether or not those weapons had rounds in them. He might have just been carrying them in case he found rounds one day, but you'd think he'd be very sparse on, on what he was putting down range. I have to wonder if Furiosa has the luxury to practice and that's why she's so accurate. Mm -hmm. And then Max was like the kid who is given the free reign of the candy store and so he's just walking through that place pulling everything off the shelves so that he can just get as much sugar into his mouth as possible he's like yes i've got so much ammunition i'm just gonna use it he's overindulging well he's got to have some sort of side effect from losing all that blood oh thank goodness a side effect from losing all that blood he can't shoot <laughs> but the the face he pulls is pretty great Mm -hmm. He wants to do it. He wants to do it so bad. He wants to be the one to do the thing and save the day, because that's what Max does. That's who he is. He's the guy that saves the day. And then there's a moment where he just knows it's not going to be him. Mm -hmm. He can save the day in other ways. 
but it's not going to be this moment. And then along the lines of what you were saying earlier, Brad, that Furiosa uses him as her steady point, her door that she's going to lean the rifle on to gain better purchase. And it's nice because it's another instance of her leaning on Max this time in a literal sense, where before it was in a more metaphorical sense, where they're driving into the canyon and she's like, I'm going to need you to drive when she's climbing up into the rig after the rock riders turn on her and he's handing her a shotgun and they're working together at a team. This is just another extension of that. Them recognizing the expertise in each other and taking advantage of that in a situation where if they don't, they're literally dead. They really do work perfectly as a team. They perfectly complement each other. It's almost a natural progression from the first movie he was a solo because we never got the dark one. And then in the second movie, well, the feral kids sort of come in for the tanker chase at the end of B's little helper. And then Thunderdome, well, of course, he had a lot of help there. But now here again, he can't do it all himself and Furiosa can't do it all herself either. They need to work together to um, to achieve what their goal here. I like the thought of him progressing in his relationships and ability to work as a team. At the end of Thunderdome, he had formed a relationship with the kids that he had chased after the, oh, what were they called? The ones that ran away from the crack in the earth? I think we called them the tribe that left. Yeah, the tribe that left. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, he... It's been a while. (laughs) He formed kind of a bond with them with teamwork and kind of knowing who needed to do what and when to bring about the, the change that they wanted. Especially Savannah. Especially Savannah. So there was a hope that he would go with them and have a community again. And he rejected that idea. So again, we have this hope that he is bonding with people and learning the value of other people working as a team. So our hopes are rising throughout this movie that he is going to find a community to stick with. And we all know how that turned out. I just realized that Not only did Max have a progression that way, but he also had a progression in the age of the companion that he was more or less running with. The feral child was obviously a child. Savannah Nix was a young adult and Furiosa is an adult. And so as he goes through these movies, all of his friends die in the first one. He has no more adults left. And then he has to work his way up through the age groups until he gets to this point where he can have another adult working relationship. So I think the potential is the greatest here for him to actually stick with someone. And I don't mean that in a romantic way. He needs a community. Mm. He needs family. And bringing all all that back to the minute, the least you could do is wait for him to look away from the weapon that's about to make a loud noise. (laughs) (laughs) She, She says, be still, and then fires, doesn't he looks at the rifle and then doesn't have a chance to look away, to flinch, to stop moving or... She just lets that shot go. And I love how we get a return of the ringing ears. Another instance in the destruction of Max's ability to hear properly. (laughs) Rick, you watched the minute like frame by frame, right? I do. Did we get a white frame? We get a muzzle flash and then we get to see the spotlight shatter. But there's no point in this minute that I could see where they just insert a white frame. Okay. But where everything is so dark, of course the muzzle flash and the spotlight exploding is going to be pretty bright. 
Maybe because the environment is so dark, Margaret Sixel didn't think she needed the white frame to properly showcase the firing of the gun. Well, you're cutting directly to that light exploding too, so you've naturally got that white or that flash as a a break in the scene. Mm. And there's something about that spotlight getting shot out that just freezes the peacemaker in its tracks, which makes sense because it's a tracked vehicle. But yeah, there's (laughs) something about that spotlight going out that makes the driver halt suddenly. And I have to wonder why they thought to do that because I don't feel like the driver is the one who would be that affected by losing the spotlight. And they don't even lose the spotlight until it's already stopped. So it's an interesting move for them to take is all I'm saying. Yeah, I looked at several screen caps and even increased brightness just try to see inside the Peacemaker, thinking maybe that um, the bullet farmer was the one in control of it and not an actual driver. Because, it, it, again, it seems as that, as that gunshot goes off, it, it stops dead in its tracks. Mm. <laughs> It must have just been reactionary. That one bullet hitting the tanker, hitting the light, I'm sure was very jarring for everybody in the tanker. So I'm guessing it just must have been reactionary. It does make me wonder what happened with those other two bullets, though. And the big boy. Is this the last time we see it? You know, I think so. I don't think they ever get more ammunition for this thing. I mean, I'll have to pay attention later on down the way, but... No, I think this is the big gun's last hurrah. But the important thing is that the bullet farmer from the bullet farm has been temporarily stopped. They've bought themselves a little bit of time. And it allows us to turn back and find that Nux has hopped out of the tanker. And Toast is doing a great job of keeping the gun pointed at him. But she's allowing him to run around. And he's grabbed the winch and taken off. And Max seems to have a good idea of where he's going with this. And so he runs out to meet Nux, grabs the winch, and sends Nux back to the tanker. So I guess the decision of whether or not to trust Nux is kind of off the table. I guess it's been made. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's what happens in emergency situations, is that you make allies with people maybe you wouldn't normally make allies with. Relationships form very quickly in high-stress situations. So, okay. Plus, they've got to know this is only a temporary thing shooting that light out. Nux needs to prove himself here, and he's going to grab this winch to um, to show that he's on their side. But they don't know what damage they've done to the bullet farm. They don't know what the repercussions are going to be <laughs> of that soon. Exactly. On the one hand, they shot out the spotlight. That much is clear. They can see that from the distance. But they don't know if they shot anything else, if the bullet went through the spotlight and hit the bullet farmer or anything like that. The only thing we know for sure with the bullet farmer is that he's having a bit of a sight issue because as we get to the last several seconds of this minute, he's sitting there, hands on his face, pulling at his cheeks. He's yelling about how he needs a flare held up to his face and his imperator's like, I am holding a flare. It's right in front of your eyes. And he seems to be coming to grips with a sudden realization which we don't get to see his reaction to it. That'll come on Wednesday's minute. But with the blood trickling down his face, we can only guess that there's a good reason why he's not seeing this flare. There's something that I really like about this scene with the bullet farmer. The Imperator that is standing behind him has his arms on the bullet farmer's shoulders in a very comforting, kind way. 
And I really appreciate that. Even in this violent world of cults and bullet farms, that Imperator has formed some sort of connection with his boss and is genuinely concerned for him. Well, quick question. Did these Imperators jump on the Peacemaker when they were bogged? Did Joe send these guys with the Bullet Farm or are these from Bullet Town? I think they're from the Bullet Farm. I think they are too. I think that they are part of the military complex that Joe has formed and their assigned duty station is the Bullet Farm. Plus, if they're on the Peacemaker here, there could be possibly a relation to the Bullet Farmer as well. Hmm. If you're going to keep your trusted people closest to you, they might be family. Or sometimes they wouldn't be family in um, <laughs> in some cases because they'd be trying to kill you all the time for, for hierarchy. Because it's just weird that we've got the, the Imperators on the back here and then you've got the Tuscan Raider in the passenger seat that we see next minute. <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk more about that on Wednesday. In the meantime, Brad, if people want to hear more from you, where should they go? The general hub at the moment is JurassicMinutes.wordpress.com. That's where... Um, We've sort of got links to our socials and that on there, or you can Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Jurassic Minutes, and you'll find us on there somewhere. Excellent. And as for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday. The winch will come up short. The bullet farmer from Bullet Farm will get poetic, and Furiosa is going to take cover. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 70 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.